Lively crew. That's another big crowd. Ah, Connie's here now. All right. It's, it's recording. We're on. Is it on hold? Oh, good deal. All right. Man, Chris Mann right up front. Oh, boy. Man. All right. Thanks for being here. Man, we got a lot of people. Gosh, I have to have a count here, but I did not make enough handouts, I'm sure, because I didn't know if... Uh, how many we'd have? <laughs> All right, I think we're okay. She doesn't need a hand out, she needs a hand up. Yeah. Hand up? Yeah. We're not judging. Hold on, Sergeant, I might need one. I think she's got one right now. All right. I'll pray for you. I feel like, uh, welcome back, Cotter. You guys remember that show? You guys would be the Warhogs. I'll be. I'll be Cotter up here trying to keep law and order. All right, so thanks again for coming. I hope this is all worth your while. We started a study a few weeks ago, actually three weeks ago, on the seven mysteries in the Bible. Actually, the seven mysteries given to the church. All right, now what that, here's what that means. We've got a lot of new folks here. I'm going to kind of do some recapping. As believers in this church age... There are there's seven core mysteries, things that were concealed in the Old Testament. You can find them if you look for them. But they were concealed in the Old Testament, and in the New Testament, they're made known. And it's like the lights are coming on, and it's really cool stuff. It's uh, So we started that study, what are these seven core things that every believer should know? Three weeks ago. Last week we covered the very first mystery, and we'll get to that in a second, um, which was the mystery of godliness. Today we're going to cover mystery number two, the mystery of Christ and the church, uh, which may not seem like a mystery to us, but it is, and, and we'll get into all that. So, first off, I got the verse here. This is kind of our verse for this series, 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. And this is one of the passages where Paul tells us that we are stewards of these mysteries of God. Paul is kind of explaining to the Corinthian church here his who he is and his authority to teach and, and whatnot. And he makes this statement, so actually he makes this statement several times in the New Testament, but he says that we're stewards of these mysteries. Alright, and that a steward should be faithful. So there's a lot in this verse, and we've talked about what is a steward? So candy bar bonus question, number one. And, and I Teresa, you guys all know that we give out candy bars. Rich man, what's a, what's a steward? Someone who manages the resources of God. That is correct. A steward. Uh-oh. Do I have both? Yeah, here. Yeah, get that to Rich man. A steward is someone who takes care of other people's stuff. And that's the most basic like Rich said. A flight attendant? Like a flight attendant. A stewardess. That's where we get the word. A head butler is a steward. If you have ever watched someone's kids, you were a steward of their kids. They expected you to give their kids back in good shape. <laughs> so, yeah, I should have used a different analogy for this crew. But, yeah. All right. God has given us, or has given us things to be stewards of. 
things that God cares about that we should care about that he expects us to take good care of and in our very first introduction lesson I I kind of outlined seven things I just picked seven there's more but seven things that God wants you to be a good steward of all of us as believers does anyone remember any what any of those are? Teresa? Our bodies. Our bodies. He gives us these beautiful, beautiful, you know, physical bodies here. <laughs> I'm just, uh, You're lucky we're not Kevin, Dave. That's right. Uh, Kevin. Uh, the, to give, the minister of the gospel. Yes, the uh, manifold grace. Uh, uh, Rosie, do you have one? I just say same thing. Yeah. Um, Man, live these cords. I mean, you're wireless here. Our bodies. He gives us these beautiful bodies that we're to take care of. Our physical bodies. Uh, he wants us to take care of our spiritual health. Tom. Disciple. Disciple. We well, that goes in with the mysteries. He gives us information in the Bible that he expects us to know. Our, our finances. Finances, creation, stewards of our house, stewards of our families. God gives me and you, our beautiful spouses and our beautiful children, he expects us to take good care of them. Yeah. So so those are some of the things that we're to be stewards of. And one of them, like like Tom alluded to, is, is the mysteries, biblical knowledge. He, yeah, uh, he expects us to know things. I didn't put it on the handout, but remember, a steward, like a stewardess, the, the Titanic had stewards. They, they, you take care of other people, yeah. They're not a good example. But. At, at some point, a steward earns their pay, or they get their reward for how well they were a steward. We are the same way as believers. There will be a day, and that day could be today, when we stand before the Lord and give an account for how well we took care of the stuff that he wanted us to take care of. And that's a very humbling thing. And that's why the Bible actually calls it the terror of the Lord. Because it's a, I mean, you know, I, I mentioned last week, we're all excited about the rapture. You know, it, it just looks like we're in the end times. We've got this COVID thing. We've got so many things going on with Israel. We all want to get out of here, the rapture of the church. But when we leave this earth, we go straight to our performance review, which is how well were we stewards of these things that he left us to be stewards of. Uh, and that's, that's humbling. So. I think I got about 7%. I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. I mean, I think we're all in trouble. We all are going to fall short. And we're going to realize all that he had for us that he wanted us to do that we didn't do. Uh, and that's why it's called the terror of the Lord. It's just a scary thing to think about. Uh, it's like when you make your father mad at you and ha- or your parents. You're like, oh, no, I don't want to go home and deal with them. Yeah, I don't want to deal with that. Oh. Yeah, I want to go to heaven, but I don't yeah. really want to answer for how I was here. Yeah, yeah, he'd be the one that he'd really figure out. Yeah. So anyway, that's, that's kind of the part two of being a steward is that we will give an account for our stewardship. And that's why it's important to know these core truths about the Bible because he's going to want to know if you learned these things. Alright, so next question. Candy bar bonus question. What is the biblical definition of a mystery? You can ask Google. <laughs> you can ask Google. And a hint in Romans 16.25. Let, let's flip over there because this is a cool little passage. It's things that we don't know about uh, God and what his means. No. It is? 
Romans 16.25 will clear it up. So let's turn over there. Does someone want to read that? i got to get a drink. Romans 16.25. It's the very last few verses of Romans. Now to him that is a power to establish the according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ and the revelation of the mystery which was kept since the world began. But now... It is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandments of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. Yes, thanks, Ray. There are things that God kept hid. We're going to talk about that in a second because the church is one of them. That he did not directly reveal to the prophets of the Old Testament that are now revealed. When Jesus showed up, when Paul showed up, and Peter and all these guys started preaching in the New Testament age... Some of these secrets are now revealed. So, yeah, Pam? I have a good footnote on the part, the revelation of the mystery. Mm-hmm. It says that, remember the story Jim Stovall gave on June 21st about the hints about the Christmas. Oh, yeah. Well, thanks, Pam. Yeah. All right, yeah, so I'll do that again. Since it was, you liked it. Yeah, most of us have kids. Maybe everybody is. I don't know. But whenever it's Christmas time and your kids start asking for hints about the presents, you know, what's this thing here? You'll give them clues, and hopefully you're accurate. You know, it's blue. You know, you can write it. You know, it's just kind of a generic hint that they st- it's, it's still hidden from them what it is. And that's kind of what the Old Testament is full of. It's hints about things. So then on Christmas Day, when your kid opens up and it's a bicycle, it's like, ah, those hints now make sense. And that's what the New Testament does for the Old Testament. The Old Testament is just packed with hints and clues about cool stuff to come. That when Jesus came, ah, now it all makes sense. And the church is one of them. This mystery here is a church. So yes, the Christmas presents is, a, is an analogy of that. So the definition of a mystery is something that was once kept secret, but is now made known. Alright, so last week we talked about the mystery number one, which is the mystery of godliness. Alright, candy bar. I should have got a big candy bar, but I just... These are getting hard to find, actually, with the, the summertime and the s'mores and all that kind of stuff. Man, sometimes I go to Wally World and they're out. All you got to do is go to a gas station, Jim. Ah, I ain't paying them prices. <laughs> I, just, I just go to Wally World. But, so last week we talked about mystery number one, the mystery of godliness. Big Tom. What's that? I was just about to say this. Okay, it was the mystery of godliness. Does anyone remember what that was? Jesus is Jesus manifest in the flesh. The mystery of the faith. It's it's, and I kind of likened it as believers. What's the secret to our success? You know, I talked about that '80s movie with Michael J. Fox. Okay, that's before my time. The secret to our success is Jesus being manifest in the flesh and the, the six things he did that's in that verse. Let's, let's flip over to 1 Timothy 3.16. That's pretty good, right? 1 Timothy 3.16. We'll just cover mystery number one here real quick. 1 Timothy. Uh, it's in the New Testament. 
<laughs> Somehow I got back in Revelation. All right, First Timothy. Yeah, is that in the New Testament or Old Testament? All right, First Timothy three sixteen. Wow, having trouble finding it. All right, and without controversy, without a doubt, great is the mystery of godliness. And there's a colon. Remember, English rules. A colon is the beginning of a list. So now we got a list of six things that's the secret to our success. That how can we be godly? Because God was manifest in the flesh. Jesus came down. He was justified in the spirit. He was seen of angels, preached on unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. Because of Christ, we are allowed to be godly people and ask him into our heart and be saved and Christians and that's that's a mystery that was hidden and we'll get into that more as we get in further into the mystery because the Old Testament guys didn't have this it was a different setup and we'll talk about that in another mystery alright so that was the mystery of godliness next page on the handout there's our list of seven those are the seven we're going to go through Uh, today we're going to talk about the mystery number two which is the mystery of Christ in the church. Um, this mystery, mystery number two is a big one. There was a lot of ways to kind of tackle this guy. This, this is a big one. It's got kind of two parts to it. And I don't want to lose anybody because it gets kind of deep, so I tried to not get deep. For, um, we in, in this age, we, we're all used to the concept of church and, and going to church, the word church, and, and everything about church. We've got to put ourselves back in the first century when Jesus showed up to think about what a, what a new thing this is. And we're going to talk about that in a second. And then this new church that gets set up with Jesus comes... What's its relationship to Christ and, and things like that? So that, that whole body of truth about the church and what it is and what it does and what it's for is a mystery that was concealed from the Old Testament guys. All right. And I think I'll kind of leave that there. We, we've got to unpack this thing kind of slow because there's a lot of moving parts. But the little table at the bottom that shows all these guys. Let me kind of explain this one. We actually covered this, you know, for a few years we went through the Bible, we went through every book of the Bible. And when we got to the prophets of the Old Testament, there's 16 prophets in the Old Testament and they're listed out there, those 16, and hopefully those all look familiar to you. All of those prophets made prophecies about stuff, but there's one thing that really none of them seen. And notice, and, and on the bottom of that chart are things that they saw. Like they saw the Babylonian captivity. Some of the prophets seen Jesus' birth. Some of them seen Calvary. But that valley of the church age that we are in right now was hidden from the Old Testament prophets. You can't go back to Isaiah and directly find passages about the church age or any of the prophets, any of these 16 they did all see things about Israel. Several of them seen things about the Antichrist, the seven-year tribulation, all these other end-time things 
are in the prophets of the Old Testament, Church of Ages 9. And we also talked about the prophets. How did I explain that? Okay. If you take a group of people and blindfolded them. Don't do that to this group. Yeah, I wouldn't do it to you guys. That would be funny, though. If everybody here had a blindfold. <laughs> I quit. That's good. I'm going to use that. And we go down to the Kansas City Zoo. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, well, Chris started it. So, and, and we go to the elephant, the elephant thing. And, and I tell you guys, okay, all, all you guys feel this animal. And tell me what you feel. I think we can tell. I think we can tell an elephant, too. If you're blindfolded. You're, and you have no idea where you're at. You, you might be feeling the tusk. Okay, it's hard. It's, it's like smooth. You might be feeling the tail. You might be feeling the tongue. You're all going to have a little different descriptions of the elephant. Yeah. But you'll be able to tell kind of what it is. That's what all these Old Testament prophets were doing. They're all describing a lot of the same things, but they describe it a little bit different. So they're all describing like the second coming of Christ, but they all have a little different spin on it. Or they're all talking about Israel, or they're all talking about Calvary or something. So I think I made my point. But one thing they did not see was the church age. They had no idea that was coming. So that's the that's the time between the the last week. The church age. Yes, the church age, and and um, I don't want to get too deep. Maybe some of you are maybe ready. It's it's okay. It's okay, it's okay but. If the Jews would have accepted Jesus as their Messiah, there wouldn't have been a church age. That's why it was kind of hidden in the Old Testament. Brian actually alluded to this again. He alludes to stuff like this all the time, and I think sometimes it goes over my head too. But anyway, but but there wouldn't have been a church age. So we would have just went straight from Jesus' crucifixion on into the tribulation, and so that's why the church age wasn't directly prophesied because it may not have happened but he knew it would so anyway I don't want to lose anybody on that but that's just that's why it wasn't directly the first and second coming yeah 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 the church age between the first and second coming may not have happened and like Brian said John the Baptist would have filled the Elijah role of the witnesses and things like that and the second coming could have just come in and but that, that gets kind of deep I don't want to go there I'm okay. I got yeah, I don't want to lose anybody. So basically, like I said again, the church age that we are living in now, this thing called the church that we're getting ready to talk about, was not directly prophesied in the Old Testament. So That's why when Jesus showed up, it was such a new thing. They didn't quite get it. All right, so next page on the handout. The seven mysteries given to the church. Mystery number two is mystery of Christ and the church. Um, I gave a couple verses where it's introduced in, and there's really two parts about it we're going to talk about today. It's what the church is and Christ's relationship to it. And that's going to leave that there. So, Ephesians is where we find all the verses that deal with this mystery of the church. Um, I want to read these now. All right, let's go to Ephesians 3.3, three, just for a second. Ephesians 3.3. Three. Yeah, I don't want to get bogged down too deep. So, All right, Ephesians 
3, 3, and 4. Actually, I might read a little more. And Paul's explaining to the church at Ephesus uh, about the church. We'll talk more about that in a second. But he says in verse 3, How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words. He'd already talked about it in chapter 1. Whereby, when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Verse 6, this is the mystery. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Bam! It's like the mic drop. To us, that doesn't mean a whole lot because we're, you know, here in 2020 in America, we're Gentiles. But to a Jew living in the first century, this is like huge. And we'll talk about why that is here in a second. Um, So the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs in the promises of God. And they're part of the same body with the Jewish folks. Let's kind of leave that. That's what the mystery is. I put the definition here, the the next part of this table, on this page 3. That with the New Testament, when Jesus showed up, he created a new thing, a new entity composed of both Jew and Gentile, and it's called the church. This is a new thing. And this new thing called the church is the future bride of Christ. In Galatians 3.28, I I should have put it here, but in Galatians 3.28, Paul's explaining that the church, it isn't Jew, it isn't Gentiles, it's not men, it's not women, it's not slaves, it's not masters, I mean, there's none of that, no identities, it's it's people that believe the gospel, that, that accept Christ as their savior, they become part of this new spiritual body called the church. Which, you know, in, in Christianity, in church dumb, we hear, we have a lot of terms that people use, like body of Christ and things like that, that a new believer may not understand when they, they hear about body of Christ. The church is meant to be the body of Christ. All right. Um, I was going to take a pause here for a second. Has everyone, I think most of the people here have been through Discipleship 1. Yep, I know Teresa, I think you about finished too, right? Or Yeah. Yeah, you finished. You're, yeah, yep. I know Kevin, a lot of people have. And I know some have been through Discipleship 2. Because at, at Heartland, we have a structured courses where we teach things like this. Uh, the mysteries are taught in Discipleship 2. But we're teaching them here because... We're cool, and we can do that. <laughs> but uh, but now you'll have a head start. So, But in Discipleship 1, there's 16 of these pamphlets. And one of them, number 8, is the local church. Uh, and this is a good lesson that teaches us, like, the purpose for the church, you know, this new thing that Jesus created. Um, the local church is to edify, build us up, strengthen us, uh, to teach us the Bible, uh, this lesson talks about our role. This lesson also talks about 
how God has created three institutions in our life to like govern us, to, to keep us on track. The local church, well, actually our family first. We're all members of a family. We should all be members of a local church and then our civil government. And those are three institutions that we submit to, that we are members of, that keep us at, on the right path being good citizens. And, and, that, and those three institutions is how God ex- works in our life to teach us and help us to be all that we, he wants us to be. So, uh, so this last one on the local church, uh, it highlights that it, it, the church is not a building. It's not a denomination. Baptists aren't the only ones in heaven. Uh, I've heard some good jokes on that, but I won't, won't do that. But be nice. Yeah. Uh, the church. We're here to teach people. We have fellowship and prayer. And one of the things that this lesson really gets across is, is attending church isn't optional. It's part of God's program for our lives to be plugged in. A lot of people do homeschooling because uh, they don't like public schools or whatever. They want to have more control, have home homeschool. And I also know people that do home church. Uh, and that's not something that we are meant to be. So there's no home churching. God intended for us to come to this building to fellowship with other believers to so he can equip us and edify us. So I think you guys all have heard that. So it's a good lesson, lesson number eight, the local church. So, hopefully everybody's been through those. Man, it's getting hot in here. It's a song, I think. Alright, on the bottom of the handout, this is kind of getting a little deeper also, but now that we have a new entity called the church, this is an important rule of Bible study that, okay, let me, let me actually back up. The reason it's important, and we've talked about this before, one of the reasons it's important to know these Bible truths is it's that whole safety net that we've talked about. There are a lot of false teaching out there. There's a lot of cults. You know, I just get... That's one reason I hate Facebook. Every time I get on Facebook, I get mad because there are so many goofy things and goofy sayings and things that sound spiritual, but they're so far off biblical. And they can really trip up a person. So it's really important that we know these foundational truths like the mysteries because it, by, by knowing these truths, every truth we learn is like we're weaving another thread in our safety net that's going to keep us on the right path. So, And one of the truths of Bible study are, are knowing that there's three institutions, there's three types of people groups in our Bibles. And that's why I wrote them here. There's first was the Jews, descendants of Abraham. You know, Abraham was called out by God back in Genesis 12. They are to receive the promises of God, the eternal kingdom, salvation, uh, all the good stuff that Jews are going have coming to them. So there were the Jews. And the second set of people are the Gentiles. Basically, not a Jew. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. We're all Gentiles here. Um, and I, Steve covered Ruth a few weeks ago. Here's the deal: if you are a Jew, a, a Jew, you're part of God's family, and you know you participate in the Jewish sacrifices. And I'm talking Old Testament stuff right now. You are part of God's people, and you had 
an easy path to have a relationship with God if you're a Jew all through the Old Testament. If you're a Gentile, like we are, if we wanted a relationship with God, we would have to kind of become a Jew, like Ruth did, that Steve taught on. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. They joined, they hooked up with the Jewish nation. All through the Old Testament, as David and Joshua, whoever, are conquering nations, these Gentile people are saying, hey, I want a relationship with God too, so I'm going to hook up with the Jew. So the Jew is the key to having a relationship with God. Gentiles had to become a Jew, so to speak. And that's the way it was when Jesus showed up. Well, now when, he, when Jesus showed up, we have this new entity called the church. So now if you want a relationship with God, you don't need to be a Jew. You don't need to be a Gentile. You just ask Christ in your heart and accept his offer, and you become part of the church. Well, of course, Jews had an issue with that. Uh, there was a huge issue with that. And that's what Brian has been going through in Acts. They still do. Yeah, they'll, they'll spit when they hear the name of Jesus. Uh, Jew will today. Um, Brian went through the book of Acts over the last year or two, and everywhere Paul went, there's, you know, there's synagogues all over you know, Greece and Turkey where Paul went in the book of Acts. Oh, the Jews hated Christianity. You know, they hated everything about a Gentile now can have a relationship with God and be a, you know, like verse 6 in Ephesians 3, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of the same promises that have been the Jews for centuries, that they're going to have eternal life, that they're going to rule with God someday, that they're going to just be all that in a bag of chips. All of a sudden, you don't have to be a Jew no more. You don't even have to sacrifice. You don't have to go to the temple. You just have to ask Jesus in your heart to join this new kingdom of God and and be part of the church. So that's why the mystery of the church, when it was first revealed by Paul, was so explosive. Because it's a different way of thinking to the Jewish man. But if you're a Gentile, this is like awesome. You know, now it's you don't have to be a Jew now. You can just ask the Lord in, in your heart and, and and take it from there. So anyway, that, that's kind of the mystery. The mystery of the church when it was first revealed is that in this that there's a new there's a new thing. There's a new game in town. Don't have to be a Jew no more. Anybody can get part of it. Uh, so it wasn't revealed to the Old Testament folks. Alright. Uh, any questions on that? It gets a little deep. We're getting kind of a little deep on some things, but I'm trying to keep it light. So But thing at the bottom, we're going to kind of move into part two of the mystery, is is the whole bride thing. And this is cool. I think this is going to get cool. I don't know if you've heard it, but there are two brides in the Bible. Israel, the nation of Israel, was married to God, is God's bride. He's called God's bride many times. You know, you've seen Moses, uh, Ten Commandments, Let My People Go... When he goes up, and whenever the uh, God brought Israel out of Egypt, they, he made a pact with them. Exodus 19. Israel, the nation of Israel, became God's bride, wife actually, married Israel. Um, that's all through the Old Testament. I just put down a few verses there. However, Israel 
you heard the phrase, played the harlot. They kind of went astray as the Old Testament goes on, and God divorces them. Yeah, cuts them off. Puts Israel on the back shelf, or back burner. Uh, but then I put the spoiler alert. They're not done. That's, that's another mystery that we'll get to in a few weeks. They'll still be around here before too long. So, while Israel's on the back burner, now he's turning to the church. Because the church is the other bride that's in the Bible. The church is Jesus' bride. So, both of us, uh, the church and Israel, will both rule. Alright. Any questions on that? I just kind of want to touch on that. That there's two brides. Israel's God's wife. Church. Jesus' wife. Alright. So, the book of Ephesians. Next page. The book of Ephesians is really the key book that talks about the church mystery. The first three chapters. Actually, it's maybe four chapters. Yeah, so yeah, three chapters. All right, I'm just going to go through this real quick. We're not going to get bogged down in this, but in chapter one, he describes this new church, this new thing that's Jew, Gentile, man, woman, whatever. It's, it's if you accept Christ, you're a new thing. You're a new person. God had planned it from the beginning. We read that in verses uh, uh, 3 through 6 there of chapter 3. Or chapter chapter 3, yeah. Okay, this is chapter 1. Chapter 1 covers it had been planned from the beginning. Jesus bought the church. Holy Spirit protects church. Church is a body. Chapter 2, the church is a temple. Okay, I'll be the first to... to <laughs> what do you call it, say, I don't understand how this works. I just know the facts behind it. I don't understand how the church can be a body. It can be a temple. It can be a bride. It can be all these things. But God has it all figured out, and he tells us that this is facts. So in chapter 2, it's a temple. We're the members. We're the construction members of this church. We're all bricks in this church, heavenly church. Uh, God sacrificed, allowed the construction. The purpose of the church as a temple is uh, to be a habitation of God. Um, it's actually part of the New Jerusalem, but I'm not going to leave that off. But. Unlike conventional bricks, you know, being set with mortar, uh, our bricks aren't set with mortar so they can move around. Right. Yeah, yeah and... and and knowing this mystery exists, whenever you read like Corinthians, like what you're saying, whenever Paul starts talking about the church being made up of body, of many members, all this stuff kind of starts making sense. You have to look at the whole body of all the truth when Paul talks about the church being as a body, you know, fitly joined together, and Christ is the, the cornerstone, and but it's also members of people, and you know, I'm the foot, and Chris is the big toe, and you know, all that kind of stuff. That we all have a part to play in this body of the church. See, I just did you. It's like that. See what I did there? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I wouldn't do that. But we all have a purpose. But that's what that means when Paul's talking about we're all members of the body. We all have a, a role to play in this church. You know, we're all important. So, and then chapter three, the church is a mystery. It was hidden in the Old Testament. And I love this verse in 1 Corinthians 2. Let's flip over there because this is, this is something else that's cool. 1 Corinthians 2. 
Because this is some of the stuff I used to ask myself when I was first saved. It's like, why, why didn't they see it? First Corinthians two, seven and eight. All right, First Corinthians two seven. But we speak the the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the the world of, unto our glory. So we're talking about this mystery of the church, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If they had really understood that by crucifying Jesus was going to bring about this new thing called the church, they wouldn't have done it. But it was hidden from them. There was nowhere in the Old Testament they could go to to look it up. So I think that's kind of cool. All right. Heading on down our table. Chapter 4, the church is a new man. The last part of Ephesians talks about now that we are in the church, this is how we should behave. The first three chapters talk about what the church is. It's a body. It's temple. Now this is how we should be. We should walk worthy. Now that we're in this new thing called the church that, that Jesus died for, that we should walk worthy of that. You know, we should keep the peace. We should walk in love with people. We should have a new life, kind speech. All right, then our key verse, chapter 5. The church is a bride. All right, I'm starting to run low on time here. Let's flip over to Ephesians 5. This is where God talks about the church mystery as a bride. All right, Ephesians 5. I'm going to kind of hop through here. I was going to read the whole passage, but I'm getting short on time. Uh, All right, so Paul's talking about how we should be submitting ourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Let me just say real quick, what this chapter is going to do is going to hit on one of the key problems that we all have. I have it. I'm sure you have it. Submission. We don't want to submit to authority. You know, whether it's our spouses, our our church leaders, our bosses at work, our government. You know, it goes back to the, the root problem of pride uh, and submission, you know, the acting on it, not not submitting. So so this really this chapter here is like a minefield about how we should submit. Children should submit to the parents, wives to the husband. Husbands to the Lord, and no one's doing it right. Sometimes, sometimes they are, but that's one of the. You know, Brian taught a, a series a month or two ago, or three or whatever, probably three or four months ago, on on biblical principles and counseling. Uh, how to counsel out of the Bible. It was on a Wednesday night. It was really good. And one of the things he just honed in on, it's all about submission. We are we, we when we don't submit in our own households, then we don't submit at church, and then we don't submit with the government, and it just causes social breakdown, just like what we're seeing everywhere. So uh, we pick up here in verse twenty-two: wives submit to your own husbands, and then verse twenty-three: for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he's the savior of the body. Verse twenty-four: therefore. As the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. 
<laughs> so anyway, we'll leave that one. It's a minefield, I tell you. Guy could have fun with this, but you know people abuse this. I mean, a lot of cultures. The you, you've heard the term how when when the gospel comes into a country, the treatment of women gets better because the Bible tells the men to treat the husbands in verse twenty-five. Love your wives as Christ loved the church, because he of course loved the church. He died for it. Every woman wants a guy that'll die for him. You know, I will die for Sherry. Steve would die for Angie, and hopefully the men in this room will die for the women. That's what the women's are wanting, because. Adam was our example. He died for Eve. Actually, I got time for a quick joke. I don't know if you heard. I don't know if you heard this. Yeah, God made Adam. You know, Adam's out there working the field, sweating his hard work, and God says, "Hey, I will give you a helper. She's going to be beautiful. She will. She'll do twice the work you can. She'll just be awesome. She'll be able to take all the produce and make some some really good dinner." And it'll just cost you a leg. And Adam's like, okay, what can I get for a rib? <laughs> and there we are. So now we have it. So, uh, you know, God put, Adam, God put Adam down. He took the rib out. And now we have Eve. Jesus was on the cross. He got speared the fifth rib. And then the church came out. So it's kind of the first Adam, second Adam thing. But anyway. Um, no, I got off on that. I don't know why. I just, it just popped in my head there. Steve, you better help him. But um, he, he goes on down in verse 26 talking about how the relationship with men, they should love their women, women should love the men. We're all mem- In verse 30, we're all members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Verse 31, that's the famous wedding verse. For this cause shall a man leave his mother and father and be joined unto his wife. They too shall be one flesh. And that is also kind of a mystery. How can two people, me and Sherry, are one flesh? Adam and Eve were one flesh, even though we're two different people. One flesh in Christ. We're one flesh in Christ, just like the church and Jesus are one flesh. It's, it's, don't understand how it works, but that's how it works. Jim, can I say, the thing about submission, sometimes we do submit, people submit in the wrong way. Mm-hmm. They feel like they have to submit, like, oh my God, okay, I'm not going to do this. You know? It really should be out of love. It's like I said, under the Lord. One, two thing, not a half, two thing. Yeah. yeah, verse 22, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands, which is cool that he put own, uh, as unto the Lord. Just the way I submit to Christ. Yeah, you're right, Ray. you got to do it for the right reasons. All right, so verse 32 is our key. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. You know, he just went through, and, and Paul's telling us that these two are both mysteries, the man and the woman and the, and the Christ and the church. Um they're both mysteries. It's an institution designed by God, and that by seeing. Okay, let me let me back up. I've talked before about word pictures. When we want to teach our kids truths, you know, like build a good foundation in life, we'll tell them a little story about the three little pigs or something, because we can understand a word picture. So what Paul's doing here, he's he's talking about the marriage, the way men should love women, women love men. But really, I'm talking about Christ and the church. So then we can kind of see, oh, that's how much Jesus loves the church. He would, he died for it, just like you know I would die. We would die for our spouses. All right, I'm about out of time. I want to cover something real cool here. This is something I always thought was neat. Well, verse six talks about the church as a soldier. That's the, the armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. 
I'm not going to go with, do with that. But what Paul's talking about is, is how the marriage is a symbolic thing of the church and Christ. Mm-hmm. All right, so then I got thinking about the marriage process. I'm just going to cover this real quick. So what I did, here's what I did. Uh, I, I, did uh, I did some reading in the Jewish Encyclopedia and in this, uh, this thing called the Chabad, which is the Jewish laws. And I outlined on the next page the, the wedding process that the Jews instituted. You know, every culture has a little different wedding ceremony process. You know, some you gotta you, you spit on the bride, and I think that's in that's in America, South Africa, or something. So I know the Germans have like the feats of strength, where the bride has to like saw logs or something like that. And there's all kinds of weird there's all kinds of weird things in in weddings. So I got looking at okay, what do the Jews do? And I got this stuff out of the Jewish encyclopedia stuff. Here's what the Jews do. And I think this, this will apply to the mystery. The Jews take Exodus 19, where they married God, after at Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments and all that. They take the things out of Exodus 19. They take all the stories about Abraham and Isaac and all these other guys that got married. And they, they kind of whip up this this wedding ceremony process based on the Old Testament truths that they were taught. Okay? And, I, and you come up with this timeline here, this little process that I drew. So you get two Jewish teens. They, they have this little teen romance going on and they're hanging out all the time. And then comes the betrothal. That's where the Jewish guy's dad negotiates with the girl's dad on a price if the Jewish boy is going to take the girl from the home, they're going to compensate the family because now they're losing a cook and a seamstress and all that kind of stuff. So they started compensating. This stuff all happened in the Old Testament with Isaac and Rebekah and all these other stories. That's where they get it. So they agree to this mohair. We call it a dowry. And, and, and the, the, the groom purchases the bride. Uh, they have an agreement to get married. They exchange some gifts, usually rings. And then they have a little prayer over some wine, a little toast, betrothal prayer. Well, then what happens is cool. There's a separation period that the Jews practice. The, the newlyweds had no cash, kind of like today. So they didn't have money for a house. So it was typical for the Jewish boys to just add on to a house to daddy's place. And then we're going to live here for a while. So during uh, typically a 12-month period, the boy goes back and he adds on to the house. And the girl gets ready to get married. Whatever she's got to do, make clothes or whatever. Uh, get her affairs in order. The next thing that happens, and I, I promise this is going somewhere, is receiving the bride. The girl knows, the girl bride knows at some point the guy's coming back once he gets his little house built. And what they typically do, the Jewish boys, is they'll get his entourage together and they get torches. They do this at night and they come walking down the street to the girl's house. She's expecting him sometime, but not exactly when. But he blows the trumpet and she comes out with her suitcase. And then they go to the daddy's house. Yeah. And it's cool to see. They have pictures of all this on the internet. So while the boy is going by torchlight to get the bride... 
the guests are assembling at daddy's house because there's going to be a wedding that night. So when they get to daddy's house, they have the wedding. Uh, the bride cleans herself. I got the wedding category. She, she's always veiled during this period. Lots of guests there at the wedding. The groom and the bride, they retreat to this uh, little chamber to consummate the marriage. Um, and while they're consummating, they start having feasts outside the wedding guests. I think, the, I couldn't verify, but I think the groom joins them, but the bride stays hidden for seven days while they have this seven-day wedding feast, the Jewish folks. And then after seven days of the feast, the bride comes out. Now she's not veiled. Just cool. So then they go off on their honeymoon. Now, obviously this sounds like our weddings today. Our wedding, our, our, I mean somewhat, our, our European weddings are based on this. I mean, we can kind of pick out a lot of the things. This what I think is so cool. The Jews came up with this plan based on things in the Old Testament they were taught. But they didn't know anything about the church. But if I simply took the groom in this story and replaced it with Jesus and the bride and replaced it with the church, that's what I did on the next page. And then it's like the lights come on. Because now all of a sudden our Jewish friends are teaching us like end times, order of events, things about the church that they didn't know just by what they do. So, then the betrothal. There's a dating period. You know, Jesus is always wooing us. He's always wanting to marry us. Well, God the Father negotiated a price for the church. Jesus paid that price. The marriage covenants agreed to. Rings were exchanged. The betrothal prayer over toast of wine. This kind of sounds like the Last Supper. The separation period. And this is cool. Remember in John 14, Jesus told him him that I'm getting ready to leave and I'm going to go to my father's house and prepare a room and come back and get you. Um, To to us, that don't mean a lot, but to the Jews at that time, they knew exactly what that meant, that he's coming back. So the separation period is where we are now, and I put the little you are here on that line. We're at the very end of that. So us, as the church, our job is to be getting ready for him to come back. He's going to come back. He's going to receive the church, 1 Thessalonians 4, some night. Right, Actually, the church age is called a night. There's going to be a trump of God that's talked about in Thessalonians. We know he's coming back. We don't know exactly when. He's going to take the church with him. Um the wedding guests are going to be assembled. Psalms 45 covers that. A lot of the Old Testament saints are going to be there. People that have already won before us. Uh, there's going to be a wedding. The church cleanses herself. That's the judgment seat of Christ. That's when we get our spots and wrinkles ironed out. Our little performance review that we're heading toward. Uh, lots of guests at the wedding. Uh, Jesus and the church retreat and Song of Solomon is the whole consummation of the marriage. I didn't want to even go there today because I already, already covered that book. But. The seven day wedding feast while the church while the bride is away hidden we're at the, the marriage supper of the Lamb is going on which is in Revelation 19 that's the seven year tribulation that's going on here on the earth. And at the end of that time the bride comes out of the chamber unveiled everyone will see her that's the second coming of Christ. 
so it's so cool that the Jews, by taking all the clues and the stories from the Old Testament, actually constructed a wedding ceremony that pictures Christ and the church and the end times. Uh, so they kind of helped reveal the mystery. So that's really cool. So then I think about we are all somewhere in this process. You know, think about are you dating the church like before the betrothal? I mean, are, if you think about a dating relationship, you're not really serious. You're just kind of spending time with someone as you can, and there's no commitment like a marriage. So are you dating the church? Or are you committed? Have you said, you know, Jesus whispers in our ear, you know, uh, do you, sinner, take me to be your beloved Savior, just like the wedding vows? And you either say yes or no to the wedding. So hopefully we've all said yes, we will marry you. And we're in that separation period where we should be getting our affairs in order, doing what's right, living godly lives, all the things in Ephesians. Or are we still in that dating process where we're not really serious about church? We just kind of, yeah, we'll come when we can. And, you know, it's not really a good, solid commitment like a marriage is. So I think that's kind of cool when I think about that. Um, So that's kind of the secret, the mystery of the Christ and the church is that when Christ came, he created a new entity called the church. It's not Jew, it's not Gentile. Believers in him are part of this new thing. And that we're all engaged. If you're a believer, you're engaged to Christ. I didn't point out, but during that separation period of the Jewish girls and boys, that year while he's building, they are legally married. They are betrothed. And that kind of comes into the Joseph and Mary thing. Um, They are legally married and all the Levitical laws apply to the treatment and, and this and that. So you, are, if you're a believer in Christ, you are betrothed to him. You should be faithful to him. Not going around doing things we shouldn't be doing. Getting involved in things we shouldn't be doing. You already have a husband coming. But um, That's really about all I had on that. I'm kind of running late. I don't want to push anything. Any questions? That's kind of a deep one. There's a lot to that. Christ in the church. But the church is a new entity. That's the mystery hid from the Old Testament. And that's that. All right. There you go. Well, uh, we just got three or four minutes here. Uh, you know, Jim started out. You can probably go ahead and kill that, Chris. Uh, if you want to. We'll do finish our hair. Yeah, So Jim said that we. Uh, he spent a whole week on talking about stewardship and how we're to be stewards of these mysteries. So I guess what I took away, Jim, as uh, being good stewards, just uh, practically in, in our own marriages, right? I, I looked up, uh, because he said these things will, these truths will weave a safety net and, and protect us from false doctrine. And uh, do you know... Uh, Jesus prophesied, he said, But as the days of Noah were, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And so uh, 
in the days of Noah, there was confusion around eating and drinking and marrying, giving in marriage. And so it is today. Uh, in Luke, it says, as in the days of Lot. And we know in the days of Lot, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, there was uh, wickedness in the areas of sexuality and marriage. And So anyway, this is just so rich. Uh, that you talked about, you know, submitting ourselves one to another, and just the the core of our society is the family, and so when it breaks down, society breaks down, and churches break down, and and governments break down. So yeah. anyway, there's just a, a tax on all those, isn't there? Those three institutions, and so anyway, th- this was rich. That Jewish wedding thing that kind of blew me away. That was, yeah, was uh, cool. I seen that. Sort it's like wow. wow that's cool. Yeah, it just really pictures uh, the second coming. So, anyway, any other thoughts or questions? Uh, was this good? Yeah. So, uh, next, next week we're talking about uh, possession. You know, we talk about being possessed. That's what we're going to talk about next week. What, what's the uh, Christ in you? Christ in you? Oh. Hi, right, Rosie, do you have a question? No, I was told no. Oh, no. Well, see, next time you're at a wedding, uh, think about this. You know, that the, I, I, think, I can't wait to go to another wedding. I'd study this some more. So. Anyway. Anybody want to get married? <laughs> Yeah. I'm trying to get to <laughs> All right. Eventually. Not me. Well, uh, try to think of it. Uh, if you can stay afterwards for Pat's meeting, uh, please do that. Or if you can help with the uh, spark in the park. So, uh, Kevin, would you mind closing us today, brother? Sure. Thank you, dear Lord, Heavenly Father, for allowing us to meet here together today. You say we're two or more meet here in the midst thereof. Just know that you're always welcome and you got a seat available. You know, come step up the floor. I just uh, ask that you remind us today as we go about our day to, uh, you know, think on the things uh, of you, think on the heavenly things above and, and uh, not so much on the, the temporal and the here and now. And, and just uh, let us uh, let us see these uh, these word pictures uh, in our life each and every day that uh, we may grow to know you more, Lord, and... and uh, I just uh, ask that you uh, <clears throat> take uh, Steve's knee and and uh, make it uh, make it. You know, uh, you said that uh, Paul had a thorn in the flesh, and if if this is Steve's thorn, just uh, allow it to glorify you, Lord, and, and uh, be with each and every person as uh, we we go to service and, and allow us to. Uh, take away from the table what we need and just leave the rest behind for these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 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 Amen.